arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine to the corpse dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance for Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Erdarm. I'm your host Justin, and we're jumping into chapter 44, Hunted. Uh, this is a continuation from chapter 43, and I guess the only part of the recap we really need to go into is that Perrin wakes up from his dream with Hopper and finds out that Zareen's in there with him, and while they're, you know, chatting or whatever, Moraine basically kicks down the door and is like, your wolf dreams speak true. And one of the forsaken, you know, rules in Ilian. And we're like, oh crap. And then that was the end of that chapter. So now in chapter 44, we start out with Perrin basically getting out of the bed, putting, putting his clothes on, even though Zareen might be watching or not, probably is. Um, he asks Moraine, like, hey, are, are we going to leave? And she's like, well, unless you want to become buddy-buddy with Samael. And then as soon as she says Samael, thunder crashes overhead, just like making it obviously like more devastatingly scary, I guess, terrifying. Um, but she doesn't even look look at Zareen really. So he, you know, puts his clothes on, stuffing his shirt into his breeches. Um, he is getting prepped for everything. And he's like, oh gosh, Balzaman's not bad enough. We got to deal with the Forsaken being loose as well. And sheesh, does it even matter if we find Rand now? Is it even possible to get him before it's too late? But he keeps dressing, puts stamps his feet into his boots, and he's like, well, we either give up or we keep trugging along, and two rivers folk are not known for giving up. Now, this is very useful information. We've kind of established this in the first book um, from the history of uh, Manetherin and everything, and the old blood, and just them being really, really stubborn and basically not giving up pushing through, surviving, that kind of thing. But Zareen's like, oh, Samael, one of the Forsaken rules here? Oh, goodness. And Moraine's like, well, do you want to keep following? I would not make you stay here, not now, but I will give you one last chance to swear to go a different direction than I. And she's hesitating, and Perrin's, like, pausing while, you know, getting his coat half on. So he's got, like, one arm in, about to put the other one on. He's like, nobody would go with people who had incurred the wrath of the Forsaken. Nobody would do that. But now she knows, knows a little bit about what they face. It's like, well, not unless she has a good reason. And anyone who had heard of Forsaken with Loose would all be running for the Seafolk ship and asking passage to the other side of the Aiel Waste, not just sitting here thinking about it. But then she finally says no, and he's relaxing. He's like, no, I will not swear to go another way. Whether you lead me to the Horn of Alir or not, not even who does find the Horn will have a story such as this. I think this story will be told for ages, I said I, and I'm going to be a part of it. But Perrin doesn't like this. He's like, no, that's not good enough. What do you want? But we don't get to hear the response to this. Moraine's like, I don't got time for bickering. Any moment, Lord Brend may learn that one of his dark hounds is dead. And you can be sure he will know what that means. A warder. And he's going to come looking for the guiding Aes Sedai. Do you think he's going to sit here until he discovers where you are? Move, you foolish children. Move. And she disappears down the hall before he can open his mouth. 
Serene doesn't wait. She jumps up and runs out of the room without her candle. Perrin doesn't need it. And Perrin grabs his stuff as fast as he can, dashes for the back stairs, buckling his axe belt around his waist, and he catches up to Loyal going down, and the ogre is trying to stuff a wood-bound book into his saddlebags and put on his cloak at the same time. So Perrin helps him out, and they both run down the stairs. Zareen catches the pair of them before they could dash out into the pouring rain. Sparen, you know, hunching against the wet and running for the stable across the storm-darkened yard, not really putting, pulling his hood of his cloak up. And he's still thinking about Zareen's, you know, refusal to leave the party. He's like, she has to have, she has to have a reason. Being in a bloody story isn't reason enough for anything but a madwoman. The rain soaks his shaggy curls, laying them flat around his head before he darts through the stable door. So we get a little bit of description. I mean, we've, we know he has shaggy hair, but he's got some shaggy curls laying him flat on his head. So that gives us a little bit more description about Perrin. Moraine's already there in an oiled cloak, still beaded rain. And Nita, the innkeeper, is holding a lantern for land to finish, you know, settling all the horses. There's an extra bay gelding with an even stronger nose than Zareen. Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> and when they mean like stronger nose means it's the more pronounced. Obviously, Zareen has like a bigger, almost hawk kind of nose, like a, a beak kind of nose. But this Bay Gelding's apparently got a strange nose that's very strong. But Nita's like, I'm going to send pigeons every day. No one will suspect me. Fortune prick me. Even white cloaks do speak well of me. And Moraine's like turning around, practically slapping her and saying, Listen to me, woman. This is not a white cloak. Or a dark friend I speak of. You will flee the city and make sure anyone you care for flees with you. For a dozen years you've obeyed me. Obey me now. So she nods a bit reluctantly and Maureen growls with exasperation. It's like, if an Aes Sedai is like, there's a forsaken ruling in this city and I want you to leave. Well, you know she can't lie. So it'd be like, well, crap. I'm living underneath the rule of a forsaken. This is a bad idea. So... We also learn, said, for a dozen years you've obeyed me. So for 12 years, I would assume this is probably around it. It could have been 13, it could have been 11, but give the benefit of the doubt, it was actually 12 years. So 12 years you've obeyed me. Now keep in mind, the hunt for Red October, a.k.a. Rand, has uh, been going on for mm, is it 20 years. Yeah, about 20 years, a bit now, but it's probably been like 22 now, 21, maybe somewhere in that range. Because remember, when everything's happened and the portal stone and all that, months have passed, so it could have been a year since they left home. So I'd say it's about 21 years since she went out on her adventure when she met Lan and everything. Um, you can learn all that stuff in the prequel, uh, New Spring, if you would like to. It's at some point going to be covered by us here at Tales of Red Arm. And basically, out of that 20 years, 12 or 11 of that has been uh, this woman sending information to the Blue Aja, or at the very least to Moraine herself um, through the Blue Aja, um, at least the Blue Network. So you'd think that she'd be more like, let's go, but... Nita's like kind of reluctant and it's just like I'm going to take care of you. You've been working for me for a dozen years. Uh, like 
you leave. I'm, I'll send you gold. You can rebuild something somewhere else. Just don't stay under the thumb of a Forsaken. That's going to be a horrible ending for you. But then Lan, you know, tells Zareen that the bay is hers and get on his back. If you don't know how to ride, you got to learn by doing or take my offer. But she vaults into the saddle. It's like, oh, I was on a horse once, stone face. Now that I think about it. We hadn't seen her into a horse until now. Like she'd been she jumped on board of uh the ship when they were back in that random village. Uh was it Jehenna? I think it's Jehenna. Something like that. Um But she jumps in. Now she's Saldean, which I think is hilarious because they're pretty well known for their heavy cavalry or not their heavy cavalry, their cavalry in general. Um Heavy cavalry, I think, is the, uh... goodness gracious me, I just brain farted. Oh, Agomar and his crew. Shinar. Shinar is known for their heavy cavalry. Um, so, it's just, it's funny that Saldea, who's known for their cavalry, um, have in their existence <laughs> a, a pretty well, a well-balanced history of horse flesh so she's Saldea and so it's presumed that she knows you know at least the basics of how to ride a horse so she jumps in the horse um side note it's kind of completely wild but I know I love when the south is always like you know fetches dark crowns blah 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 like oh that's all funny stuff oh snow oh I'm like okay you have an entire civilization swath at the top of this continent fighting the dark one and all these things like Trollocs fades and everything. And it's like, why would they sit all the way up there in the harshness of the weather and just being dangerous as it is when they could move south and have plenty of space north of Andor to plant themselves if, quite literally, there were no such thing as Trollocs. There were none of this stuff. Like, all this was fairy tales. So, logically speaking-wise, the South has got to be the dumbest people on the planet. Not to mention, some ship captains have got to have experienced something or brought back, like, the head of a Trolloc or something and brought it to a square and been like, yeah, dude, check out these things, and, like, at least sold the story to make some money off of it. But, like, that's a messed up story, for one, because you have a head of a half-human, half-animal beast thing. I just don't know. Anyway, side note, ran over. Um... The parent tosses his saddlebag over Stepper's back, and he's like, what do you mean, Moraine? You said you'd find me out where I am. He knows, the gray man. Anita giggles, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I would want to slap her so hard. <laughs> he's, like, irritated, and he's like, oh, how much she knows or believes the things she said or didn't believe. Like, oh, yeah, I've been working for the Aes Sedai for 12 years, and I don't believe a single thing that they've been telling me this entire time because reasons. They're all fairy tales. I'm like, well, if fairy tales are being told to you by an Aes Sedai who can't lie, what's a fairy tale anymore? But then, Moraine's like, well, Samael did not send the Grey Men. This leaves the question, who did? So Moraine, you know, mounts Aldeeb and just basically, like, not in a big hurry or anything. He's like, well, the Dark Hound is his. I believe it followed my trail. He would not have sent both. Someone wants you, but I do not think Samael even knows you exist yet. So this is essentially like Samael 
senses something's going on in the city, right? There, there is something, and he's like, okay, Dark Hound, go find out. So the Dark Hound goes out. He's trying to find something out, and is like, why are there gray men in my territory? What's going on? Who's doing what? And the gray men fail. The Dark Hound goes to the inn, so... Lord Brend knows of the inn, which means Nita and Billy are in severe danger, and probably anybody else who's close to them. <clears throat> and basically, in its pursuit of going up there and then Moraine going out, it could have been that Dark Hound or a different Dark Hound that lands slays. So, in this regard, he's like, well, you know, I don't think. The Forsaken knows you exist, but somebody else is trying to kill you. Well, if somebody else is trying to kill you, it's probably a Forsaken. Just throwing that out there. So Perrin, you know, stops to stare at her while he's halfway getting into the stirrup. And she just seems more concerned with paying attention to Aldeeb's arching neck than the questions on his face. And Lan's like, well, good thing I went after you. And Moraine sniffs that like, huh. <laughs> And he's like, I could wish you were a woman, Gaideen. I would send you to the tower as a novice to learn to obey. And he raised an eyebrow and touched the hilt of his sword and swings into his saddle and she sighs. It's like, well, perhaps as well you're disobedient. Sometimes it is well. Besides, I do not think Shiriam and Suan Sanche together could teach you obedience. Now, this is quite a compliment. <laughs> because all of all of our experience with Shiriam, the mistress of novice, or, and she's... Yeah, she is the mistress of novice, isn't she? Um, Shiriam and Swan Sanche, uh, the Amralin, the one that everyone's terrified of, together couldn't teach him obedience. Means he's stubborn to a fault in her eyes, or at least playfully. She probably thinks it is because it's infuriating for her when he doesn't do what he's told. But it's also a good thing he doesn't do what he's told because he's not a dim-witted warder who just does whatever he's told. He also understands like certain situations call for certain scenarios, and he's not ready to be sent to Marel because she's dead. Plain and simple. Um, I guess another side note. Sheesh, I'm going to have side notes all day, apparently. Um, another side note with the uh, Morel and the water bond switching and all that jazz. Funny story is that if this was the case, and if an Aes Sedai died, and the warders would go insane and try to do something stupid, right? Why not have every single warder bound to you know, their eyes to die, but also have it set to basically trigger as soon as she dies, the eyes to die, that the warder would go to another, most likely the greens. Like, that would make sense to preserve the warders, right? For whatever reason, this is the only one I am aware of in the entire series that does it this way. I'm like, are they just not expecting it to be any type of danger? It's like, well... Are you expecting the Gaideen to die before you? Like, what's what's going on? Like, at, at least you should have a level of, I don't know, uh, a level of precaution or something. But anyway, side note over, sorry. Parents like, I don't get it. If he didn't send the Greyman, who did? If a Merjol or another Forsaken, and he kind of swallows a little bit, and he's like, wow, another Forsaken? Yeah, we need more of those. If somebody else sent them, why did they not tell him? They're all dark friends, aren't they? And why me? 
And it was, Rand's the bloody dragon reborn. And then gasped from Zarina Nita. And he just realized what he said. He's like, ah, crap. <laughs> it's like, blood and bloody ashes burn my mouth. And, of course, you know, Moraine's stare pretty much is skinning him all the way through. And he's like, ah, hasty bloody tongue. He's like, when did I stop thinking before I speak? Now, keep in mind, up to this point, thinking before I, he speaks was literally his trademark. It's what he's known for. Everyone knows him to be the person who is slow to action because he's concerned about doing damage that he can't, you know, make up for. Because he's a bigger guy, everyone's smaller, he can kind of break them really easily. He's very gentle when he's passing through in a, a crowd of people because he doesn't want to hurt nobody. But now it happened, he thinks, when Zareen's eyes were first watching him. And now she's watching him with her mouth hanging open. And Moraine tells the bold-faced woman, that being Zareen, you are sealed to us now. There's no turning back for you. Ever. Zareen looked like she wanted to say something and was afraid to. But the eyes of die already turned her attention elsewhere. He's like, Nita, flee Ily on the night, in this hour, and hold your tongue even better than you have had it, held it for all these years. There are those who'd cut it out for what you could say before I could even find you. Now, I thought the funny part of this is that her tone leaves doubts to exactly what she means by that. But Nita nods vigorously as if she had heard it both ways. Now, the both ways is, hey, people are going to cut your tongue out before I can get to you where I would cut your tongue out. Because, like, one way or the other, you're going to get your tongue, like, cut out. It's like, oh, Samael the Forsaken is ruling in Ilion. Giggle, giggle. Rans the dragon reborn. Oh, snap. And then all of a sudden, she's taking things, you know, very, very personally. And then <laughs> Moraine comes up. It's like, okay, Perrin, and you. There are many threads in the pattern. Some are the, as black as the shadow itself. Take care. One of them does not strangle you. She's obviously upset with him. Just, just a little bit. And she hits Alib's flanks and darts into the rain. And Mandarb and Land follow closely behind. He's like, burn you, Moraine. Sometimes I don't know which side you're on. He glances at Zareen, riding beside him if she'd been born in the saddle. He's like, and whose side are you on? So nobody's in the streets. It's raining cats and dogs out there. At this point, I don't think Perrin would be surprised if it was literally cats and dogs flying out of the sky. But at this point, you know, the horses kind of struggling with the uneven paving stones. But they reach the Merido Causeway. And I point that out because if you have any of the maps of Ilion and it has any of the streets and locations and districts and stuff, you should be able to know where the Merido Causeway is because they reach the Merido Causeway, which is a wide road of packed dirt stretching north of the marsh. The downpour is starting to slow down. There's still thunder, there's lightning, all that's behind them, probably out in the sea. But Perrin's like, oh, we get a bit of luck. The rain had, you know, hit us as we departed, but now it seems like we're going to have a clear night for Redding. And he tells Lan that, but Lan's like, Darkhound's like clear moonlit nights the best, blacksmith. Rain the least. A good thunderstorm can keep them away completely. And as if his words had bidden it, the rain faded to a faint drizzle, and Perrin hears loyal groan behind them. Ah... <laughs> uh... So the causeway and the marsh end together, about two miles or so from the city. But the road keeps going, slowly bearing a little eastward. 
I'm surprised they allowed that because it's towards Tyr and Tyr is evil. We will defeat them because, you know, Ilion. So the cloud dark turns the evening into night and the misting rain continues. But Lan and Moraine are keeping a steady ground eating pace. And the horses are splashing through all the puddles and the hard-packed dirt. And, you know, it's just what you'd expect. But Perrin's thinking there's got to be a forest ahead, but he's not sure he likes that idea. Woods can hide you from pursuit, but Woods can also let pursuit come close before they saw you. Or you saw them. Um, then he hears the thin howl rising behind them. And at the moment, he thought it was a wolf. And he almost reached out to the wolf before he could stop, surprising himself. And the cry comes again. And he knew, he knew right then it's not a wolf. Others answered, all miles behind, eerie wails holding blood and oh, holding blood and death. And I'm thinking, like, does nobody in the entirety of Ilion notice this? Is no one like that was a freaky wail of whatever that was? That sounds bad. I'm terrified right now. And nobody? Okay, whatever. Maybe they're all sleeping and they can't hear. Maybe the thunderstorm inside the city is keeping them from able to hear it. I don't know. But whatever happens, that's something they can hear from miles away. So they should be able to hear it miles behind in the uh, in the city. So it's it's kind of that wail that speaks of nightmares. But Land and Moraine slow down, and then. Moraine starts studying the hills around them in the night, and he's like, well, they're a long way, that's coming from land, or from Perrin. He's like, they'll not catch us if we keep on. Darkhounds? Three mutters there? Those are Darkhounds? Are you sure it isn't the Wild Hunt? And Moraine's like, oh, but it is. It is. And Land's like, you can never outrun the Darkhounds, Blacksmith, Land said. Not on the fastest horse. Always you must face them and defeat them, or they will pull you down. So we know this about dark counts. They're faster than horses, which is impressive. And they basically grab your scent like a bloodhound, and they're not going to let you you go, essentially. And Lola's like, you know, I could have stayed in the setting. My mother would have me married by now. I would not have a bad life. Plenty of books. I didn't have to come outside. <laughs> of course, everyone's kind of just ignoring him at this point. And Moraine's like, oh, over there, points to a tall, treeless mound well off to the right. And there are no trees that Perrin could see for 200 or more around it, and they're a bit sparse beyond that. And he's like, well, we have to see them coming to maybe have a chance. So the Darkhounds are heard again. They're a little bit closer, but still a bit far away. So Land quickens Mandar's pace a bit, and now that Moraine had chosen the ground, and they climbed up, and there's a half buried in the dirt, slicked by a uh, a drizzle and to Perrin's eyes can't really see much but this thing has too many squared corners to be natural and at the top they dismounted around what seemed to be a low rounded boulder the moon appeared through a gap in the clouds and he found himself looking at a weathered stone face two paces long a woman's face he thinks from the length of the hair the rain made her seem to be weeping we don't really get much about what this is, which is kind of sad because I like the lore behind it, but we don't get to know too much about it. But whatever it is, it's kind of out here in the middle of the woods on a mound. It's obviously man-made, not natural, but whatever. So Moraine dismounts and, you know, looks off into the direction of the howls and she's, you know, 
just doing her thing. And Loyal gets his house over the pier at the carving. He's like, oh, I think she's an ogier. But this is not an old steading. I would feel it. At least we all would. And we should be safe from Shadow Spawn if we were. And Zerain's like, what are you guys looking at? What, her? Who? Moraine's like, well, many nations have risen and fallen since the breaking, some living no more than names on a yellowed page or lines on a tattered map. Will we leave behind as much? But then the blood-drenched howls rose again, even closer, and Perrin's trying to calculate their pace and thought Lane had been right. The horses would not have been able to outrun them, and they wouldn't have to wait very long for this to happen. Lane's like, well, oh, gear... You and the girl hold the horses. So Zareen protests, but he rides straight over to her. He's like, your knives are not going to do very much good here, girl. And his sword blade gleams in the moonlight as he draws it. He's like, even this is a last resort. It sounds like ten out there, not one. And your work is to keep the horses from running when they smell the dark hounds. Even Mannarb does not like that smell. Which gives a hint that, like, in the 20 years they've been doing stuff, this is the first pack of dark hounds they've come across. Which does imply a few things, but I'll leave that up to your imagination. And your theory crafting, I guess. So, if the water sword's not good, then neither was the axe. So Perrin, she's like, oh, I don't have to use the axe. Thank God. And I'm like, what? The one thing you have to defend yourself, at least one of the things you have to defend yourself, and you don't want to use it to defend yourself. That makes sense. But, He's like, okay, well, he he pulls out his unstrung bow, and he's like, well, maybe this will do some good. And Lan's like, try if you want to. They don't die easily. Maybe you'll kill one. So Perrin, and I, I love the attention to deta detail here that Robert Jordan does. Perrin draws a fresh bowstring from his pouch, trying to shield it from the soft rain. The beeswax coating was thin and not much protection against prolonged damp. Setting the bow slantwise between his legs, he bent it easily fixing the loops of the bowstring into the horn knocks at the end of the bow. I, I love that attention to detail, because it shows us, like, this is what archers have to do. But he's doing this, I believe, with a, um, a Two Rivers longbow, but I could be wrong, but it's what it feels like. And I think it has to be based upon the pacing that they mention here. So, he could see the dark hounds by the time he's done. So, they're running like horses at a gallop, and as he caught sight of them, they gathered speed. There are only ten large shapes running through the night, sweeping through scattered trees, but he pulls a broad-headed arrow from his quiver, knocks it, but doesn't draw. He had been far from the best bowman in Emmons Field, but among the younger men, only Rand was better than him. Which means he's better than Matt, too. At 300 paces, he would shoot, is what he was making the decision for. It's like, fool, you'd have a hard time hitting a target standing still in the distance. But if I wait, the way that they're moving, hmm, probably not. So stepping up beside Moraine, he raises his bow. He's like, I just have to imagine that moving shadow is a big dog. He pulls the goose feather fletchings to his ear and fires. And he, there's a shaft merging with the near shadow, but the only result is a snarl. He's like, oh, it's not going to work. They're coming too fast. So he's drawing another arrow. He's like, why aren't you doing something, Moraine? Any day now. And he can see that their eyes, shining like silver, their teeth gleaming like burnished steel, black as the night itself and big as small ponies. They sped toward him, silent now, seeking the kill. The wind carries a stink near to burn sulfur. 
The horse wickered, or the horses wickered and fearfully, even Land's war horse. And he's like, burn you, I said I, do something. And he loosed again, the frontmost darkhound faltering, but came on. He's like, they can die. He shot once more. The lead darkhound tumbled, staggered to its feet, then fell. Yet even as it did, he knew in a moment of despair. One down and the other nine had crossed the two-thirds of the distance ready. <laughs> and that is when they crossed the river Eisen. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke if you understand the reference. Um, he's like, oh, come on, come on. And they seem to be going even faster, almost like shadows just flowing across the ground. He's like, well, I got one more arrow. And he's like, burn you, I die. So he draws again, but then all of a sudden, Moraine's like, now, as his arrow leaves the bow. And the air between her hands caught fire and streaked towards the Darkhounds, vanishing night, or vanquishing night. The horses squealed and leaped back against being held. Perrin throws an arm across his eyes to shield them, while a white-hot glare like burning heat, like a forge cracking open, sudden noon flared into darkness and was gone. When he uncovered his eyes, spots flickered across his vision. And the faint, fading images of that line of fire, where the Darkhounds had been, was nothing but night-covered ground and the soft rain. The only shadows that moved were cast by clouds crossing the moon. Basically, she just went, and they're all gone. He's like, I thought she'd throw fire at them or call lightning, but this... He's like, what was that? It's kind of everybody's thinking that except for Lana Moraine. And Moraine's looking towards Ileon again, and, you know... Being like, huh, miles of darkness. And it's like, well, maybe he didn't see. And it's like, it's obviously very noticeable from where they're at, but from miles away, you might see like a flash and that was that. But it kind of makes more sense when you know the context there. And he's like, it's it's far. And if he's not watching, maybe he didn't notice. And just like, he didn't notice that a whole bunch, of, his pack of Darkhounds just vanished from sight. And Zuri's like, who, Samael? You said he was an alien. How could he see anything here? What did you do? I was like, what do you mean? How could he see? You literally created a solar flare on the freaking earth. <laughs> How did he see? Oh, gosh. And Maury's like, oh, I just did something forbidden. No big deal. Forbidden by vows is almost as strong as the three oaths. Well, I mean, obviously that was binding. Something that not should be used or has not been used in nearly 2,000 years. Something I might be still just for knowing. Questions. How do you know it? That's a very interesting thing. Now, if you read New Spring, I'm pretty sure it'll tell you. So, food for thought. Um, and Loyal's like, maybe maybe we should be going. There, there could be more. And Maureen's like, eh, I don't think so. But he wouldn't lose two packs at once, even if he has to. Because they would just turn on each other instead of their prey. But I think we're not his main quarry. Which leaves the question, who is... Or he would have come himself. We were an annoyance, I think. Sounds like plot contrivance, but we'll run with that. He's got to have a lot on his plate to not notice about this type of thing, when it's kind of a big deal, allegedly, to send a big enough to send a pack of darkhounds, let's put it that way. Um, and he's like, well, maybe something extra to slip into his game bag if we were not too much trouble. And there's a small, there's small good in remaining any nearer than we have to. Now, I wanted to point out that, you know, something extra to slip in his game bag. Well, if the Dark Hounds got there, they're coming for the kill, right? What are they going to do? Just surround them and wait for somebody to come pick them up? Like, how are you going to capture somebody with things that literally are just, just used to destroy? Even if you had them trained to not kill them, they'd have to remain not killed themselves 
and somebody has to come collect them, why wouldn't it be Samael? He could just boop, pop into existence, grab everybody, boop, pop back out of existence. You know, like, why not? So, that's a little question I have in that regard. But Perrin's like, Rand? And Zareen's practically, like, leaning forward to listen. He's like, well, if we're not what he hunts, is it Rand? And Moraine's like, well, maybe. Or maybe Matt. Remember, he's also Deviran, and he blew the Horn of Valir. So Zareen's like, <gasps> he blew it? Someone has found it already? And yes, I was just like, whatever. Leans out of her saddle to stare close into Perrin's eyes, you know, dark gleaming into burnished gold. And he's like, once again, events outpace me. And I do not like that, and neither should you. If events outrun me, they may well trample you and the rest of the world with you. Land's like, well, we have many leagues to tear, so I'll take the uh, Ogier suggestion as a good one. And he's already jumping in his saddle. And after a moment, Moraine straightened up and touched the mare's ribs with her heels. And she's halfway down the side of the mound before he could get his bow unstrung and take Strepper's vein from Loyal. And he's like, burn you, Moraine. I'll find answers somehow, somewhere. Which, I mean, this is one of my biggest faults with Moraine, is the more that she leaves out. And not like stuff like, in the future, if you experience this, you may die. No, it's like, this is kind of important information. Like... If you have information that explains certain things, I can understand not telling just a random person. But he's supposed to be somebody that she's actually actively protecting. So, it's a little weird if, for whatever reason, um, he doesn't really explain all the bits and pieces of what's going on. Like, she didn't have to tell them, like, everything, everything, but, like, things that are vital to them here and now. What are they going to experience? What are they going up against? Kind of important things. But we will move on to the next point of view. So now we're jumping over to Matt. And Matt is enjoying the warmth of a campfire. But the rains had drifted south three days earlier, but he still felt a little damp. But at that moment, he was, wasn't really aware of anything in the flames. As he peers thoughtfully, the small wax-covered cylinder in his hand. Tom's engrossed in tuning his harp, muttering to himself of the rain and wet, but doesn't even glance Matt's way. And everything's going on, like really quiet, normal ambience. But two nights they had tried to buy a, a room for the night. And twice a farmer had loosed his dogs on them. They were caught between villages through a sunset and got this copse away from the road. So Matt had unsheathed his belt knife and hesitated. And he's like, well, luck. It only explodes sometimes, she said. He's like, luck. And as careful as he could, he slid along the length of the tube. And it was a tube and of paper. And he thought he'd found bits of paper on the ground after fireworks were set off. Back home, layers of paper, but all that was filled inside was something that looked like dirt, or maybe tiny gray black pebbles and dust, also known as um, gunpowder slash guano from bats and all that stuff. It's just finely refined, I guess. And he's like, stirring them into the palm of his hand, he's like, how did the light could pebbles explode? Then Tom's like, the light burned me! As he thrusts his harp in his case to protect it from what was in Matt's hands. Like, Are you trying to kill us, boy? Haven't you heard of those things that can explode ten times as hard for air as for fire? Fireworks are the next thing that isodized work, boy. Now, I think this is funny because this is like an easy common tactic for trade secrets. It's like, don't open it or you'll destroy it. And it's like, 
but that's what keeps people from opening it and learning out what's in it. And that's what keeps people from testing it and then trying to compare it to things and then making their own. So it's like it's a trade secret protection, essentially. Now, there could be certain exceptions to this rule where something will actually blow up, but you don't know. Matt's like, well, a looter didn't look like any Aes Sedai to me. I used to think about Master Alvier's clock. It had to be Aes Sedai work. But once I got in the back of the cabinet, I saw it was just full of pieces of metal. You know, he kind of regrets that entire encounter. Mr. Salvier had been the first to reach him that time with the wisdom and his father and the mayor all right behind her and none believing he was just trying to look. And he's like, I could have put them all back together. He's like, I think Mer Perrin could make one if he saw how little wheels and springs and stuff that I don't know what at all. And Tom's like, you'd be surprised, boy. Even a bad clockmaker is fairly rich, man. And they earn it, but a clock does not explode in your face. So I'm going to read this next part. He's like, yeah, neither did this. It's useless now. He tossed the handful of paper and little pebbles into the fire to a screech from Tom. The pebbles sparked and made tiny flashes, and there was a smell of acrid smoke. You are trying to kill us. Tom's voice was unsteady, and it rose in intensity and pitch as he spoke. If I decided I want to die, I would go to the royal palace, and we reach Cayman, and I'll pitch more gays. His long mustaches flailed. Do not do that again. It did not explode, Matt said, frowning at the fire. He fished into the oiled cloth roll on the other side of the log and pulled out a firework on the lar next larger side. I wonder why there was no bang. I do not care there was no bang. Do not do it again. Matt glanced at him and laughed. Stop shaking, Tom. There's no need to be afraid. I know what's inside them now. At least I know what it looks like, but don't say it. I will not be cutting it any more open, Tom. It's more fun to set them off anyway. I'm not afraid, you mud-footed swineherd, Tom said with elaborate dignity. I am shaking with rage because I'm traveling with a goat-brained lout who might kill the pair of us because he cannot think past his own. Ho, oh, the fire! Matt exchanged glances with Tom as horses' hooves approached. It was late for anyone honest to be traveling. But the Queen's Guard kept the road safe this close to Cainlin, and the four who rode into the firelight certainly did not look like robbers. One was a woman. The men all wore long cloaks and seemed to be her retainers. While she was pretty and blue-eyed, in gold necklace and a gray silk dress and a velvet cloak with a wide hood, the men dismounted. One held her reins, another her stirrup, and she smiled at Matt, doffing her gloves as she came to the fire. I fear we are caught out late, young master, she said, and I would trouble you for the directions to an inn if you know one. He grinned and started to rise. He admitted as far as a crouch when he heard one of the men mutter something, and another produced a crossbow from under his cloak, already drawn, with a clip holding the bolt. Kill him, fool, the woman shouted, and Matt tossed the firework into the flames, threw himself toward his quarterstaff. There was a loud bang and a flash of light. I said I, a man cried. Fireworks, fool, the woman shouted, and he rolled to his feet with a staff in his hand to see the crossbow bolt sticking out of the fallen log almost where he had been sitting. And the crossbowman falling with a hilt of one of Tom's knives adorning his chest. It was all he had time to see, 
for the other two men darted past the fire at him, drawing swords. One of them suddenly stumbled to his knees, dropping his sword to claw at the knife in his back as he fell face down. The last man did not see his companion fall. He obviously expected to be one of a pair dividing their opponent's attention as he thrust his blade at Matt's middle. Feeling almost contemptuous, Matt cracked the, the fellow's wrist with one hand of sta staff, sending the sword flying, and cracked his forehead with the other. The man's eyes rolled up into his head as he collapsed. From the corner of his eye, Matt saw the woman walking towards him, and he stuck his finger at her like a knife. Fine clothes wear you wear for a thief, woman. You sit down till I decide what to do with you, or I'll... She looked as surprised as Matt as the knife suddenly bloomed in her throat. A red flower spreading blood. He took a half step as if to catch her when she fell, knowing it was no good. Her long cloak settled over her, covering everything but her face. And the hilt of Tom's knife. Burn you, Matt muttered. Burn you, Tom Marilyn. A woman. Light. We could have tied her up, given her to the Queen's Guard tomorrow in Camelin. Light. I might even let her go. She'd rob nobody with the, without these three. And the only one that lives will be the day, days before he can see straight and months before he can hold a sword. Burn you, Tom! There's no need to kill her! The glee man limped to where the woman lay and kicked back her cloak. A dagger had fallen from her hands, its blade as wide as Matt's thumb and two hands long. Would you rather I waited until she nestled that in your ribs, boy? He retrieved his own knife, wiping the blade on her cloak. It's a bit of an intense scenario, but it's fun. Uh, not too long, but not too short. Get enough detail, but not overkill. I know not everybody likes that kind of detail. I hear about it all the time online, and people are like, oh, there's, there's too much description. Well, I, they had a fight. It's not a, not a description, nor is it exciting. It's just kind of like, okay, they had a fight. But when you bring in some descriptions and whatnot, it makes it a whole lot better. And I mean a whole lot better. But just for this little piece of information, Matt's trying out these fireworks and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. But he has this paper and pebbles in the fire and they make flashes. But they don't, like, explode. He's like, well, why is not? And it's like, well, Aludra did explain that some of them make sparkles, some of them make booms, some of them make both. He probably opened up one of those ones that just made sparkles because they're designed to make flashes and stuff. Um, so it's obvious he didn't really pay attention to what she said. Like, some of it, yeah. Some of it, no. Nah. <laughs> So somebody approaching them, he's like, nobody honest is, is traveling this late at night. And it's like, you're between the villages, right? You're a lady and her three retainers, right? Okay. So this being said, why would they be traveling at this time of night? Now, to the other point, why would robbers be training at this time of night? Because no one's traveling. And these guys that are sitting here trying to dry off don't look like there's any type of I don't know wealth about them really like they don't know that they have that Matt has like two pouches of gold they don't know that they have a whole thing of fireworks they don't know they got no knowledge whatsoever so what do you do 
that's the trick. You don't know. So it's like, okay, this is a little little shifty, but then it's like, oh, it's a woman. Oh, okay, it's a woman. And this is one of Matt's faults, is that when it's a woman, he lets his guard down. To be fair, this is a fault of pretty much all all the uh, men's fielders. Like, they don't understand the world enough, and then this is where, like, Tom and other people come in and play, and they're like, hey, by the way, just so you know, it's dangerous out there. It doesn't matter if it's a man. doesn't matter if it's a woman. It's it's dangerous. You have dark, dark friends chasing you. You've got all these other types of things chasing you. You faced on like Forsaken, like Agnor and Balthamel, you've chased and been chased by Trollocs, you've fought in battles alongside the Heroes of the Horn against foreign invaders known as the Shan Chan. You've gone through a lot of things, but the thing you haven't learned yet is that women are very deadly. <laughs> um, and then obviously the scenario of a guy's dying, like three guys dying, I'm honestly surprised that Tom didn't get to the third one with his own knives. <laughs> but either way, it, it involved Matt, and Matt got to be like, Psh, you think with that little blade you're going to take me with a, with a quarterstaff? Yeah, right. And just flap, 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 and that guy's down. Now, I am surprised that Tom doesn't go over and slit the other guy's throat, um, personally. But... In terms of the woman, you know, Matt being like, oh, it's a woman. What could she possibly do? And then Tom taking her out and being like, yeah, she's got a knife. She would have just shanked you. So you, would you rather I waited until that was in your stomach? So Matt starts, was, was humming, I guess. And it's only then that he realizes that what he's humming is called, she wore a mask that hit her face and stops. So he bends down and hides hers with the hood of her cloak. He's like, well, best we move. I don't want to have to explain this to the patrol of guards happens by. And Tom's like, with her in those clothes? I should say not. They'd have to have robbed a merchant's wife or some noble woman's carriage. But then his voice becomes a bit gentler. He's like, well, if we're going to go, boy, you'd best see to saddling your horse. So Matt gives a start and pulls his eyes from the dead woman. He's like, yeah. Yeah, I, I better have not hadn't I? But he doesn't look at her again. So this is something where... Ironically, despite Matt not being the one who kills her, this is something that like bothers him like heavily, heavily. And even knowing that she was about to kill him still bothers him heavily because she's a woman. Now, people could be like, oh, why does it matter if it's a woman? What is he saying? A woman can't do harm. Eh, it's not to do with that. It's just remember his setting that he grew up in. It was a very conservative, traditional farm community that doesn't have crime, doesn't have all the extra bells and whistles, outside of maybe Tar and Fairy. Tar and Fairy is kind of just a little bit of no-go in that regard. But in his limited life experience, I mean, he's gotten more life experience basically in the past year, year and a half, than he has had in the previous 18-plus years of his life before. So, in this regard, it's a bit weird for us to expect him to treat people like the rest of the world treats them, like how Tom treats them. Like, Tom's like, oh, I, I know who could be deadly, because I'm deadly. <laughs> and I, I know the ways of factions, of people hunting people, all these kind of things happening. I know how this works. So... 
as this goes, he's kind of just like pulling his his eyes away from her. But he doesn't think about any of the guys. But he's like, well, a man who decides to rob and kill deserved what he gets when he lost the game. But he doesn't think about it. And but he doesn't jerk his eyes away from the, one of the fallen robbers. And then it was only after he settled the gelding and tied all his things while kicking the door to the fire that he found himself looking at the man who had shot the crossbow. And there's something familiar about those features, about the way the smothering fire made shadows across them. He's like, luck, always the luck. And he goes to Tom, he's like, hey, that crossbow was a good swimmer. He's like, what foolery are you talking now? Tom's already on his horse, more concerned with how his instrument cases were behind his saddle than he was with the dead. And how could you know whether he could even swim at all? He's like, well, he made it ashore from a small boat in the middle of the Aaron in the middle of the night. I guess that used up all his luck. And he checks on the lashings of the roll of fireworks. And he's like, well, if that fool thought one was I Sedai, I wonder what he thought if they all went off. And Tom's like, are you sure? The chances of being the same man, why, you wouldn't even lay a wager against those odds. And he's like, oh, I'm sure, Tom. And he's like, Elaine, I'm going to wring your neck when I put my hands on you. And Egwene and I Neves, too. He's like, and I'm sure I intend to leave this, or have this bloody letter out of my hands an hour after we reach Camelon. He's like, I tell you, there's nothing in the letter, boy. I played Deus Demar when I was younger. Then you and I recognize a code and a cipher when I don't even know what it says. He's like, well, I never played your great game, Tom. Your bloody game of houses. But I know when someone's chasing me, and they'd not be chasing me this hard for the gold in my pocket, not for less than a chest full of gold. It has to be the letter. I mean, yeah, because it's not him. He's like, burn me. Pretty girls always get me in trouble. He's like, do you feel like sleeping the night after this? And Tom's like, meh, I could sleep with the innocence of a babe, boy, but if you want to ride, I'll ride. And then he's like look, thinking of the, the pretty woman's face that's popping into his head with a dagger in her throat. And he's like, you had no luck, pretty woman. And he goes, then let's ride really savagely. And that's the end of the chapter. So hopefully that was enjoyable for you guys. Um, maybe you learned a thing or two or refreshed the story in your mind. But it's it's a fun little story uh, for that chapter. I always enjoy Matt's stuff, so it's, it's nice to have it kind of put together. And obviously it was put together for the obvious reasons of the name of the chapter 44, Hunted. Like... You got Perrin and company hunted by dark hounds. You got Matt and Tom hunted by presumably dark friends or at least murderous intended factions of some ilk that are trying to get their hands on something. So it's, there's a couple ways to do it, but either way in that regard, it gives us a little bit of a, a sense of urgency, I guess, in this chapter for both Matt and Perrin. And we haven't even gotten to Rand's point of view to see the, the sense of urgency. Obviously, we know he's a sense of urgency because you got Murdral, we got potentially Dark Hounds, you've got Greymen, you got Dark Friends, all types of things are chasing Rand. But that's like the sense of urgency, but he's the one who's urgent to get to where he's going rather than his urgency to save his life. So it's a little bit different in that regard I suppose so um, hopefully that was eye opening in certain areas and maybe gave you some more better use of descriptions and stuff but yeah let me know what you guys thought um, we got chapter 45 coming up next and I definitely am looking forward to it because it's another Matt chapter or at least partially has it 
but um so i guess the easiest way to get a hold of me if you want to ask any questions give me any information whatever it is you like to do um i take i take the the non-fan mail as much as i do the fan mail <laughs> and it's not a whole lot of either uh but uh you can reach me tales of red arm at gmail.com if you want to hit me directly um you can reach me also through facebook and twitter which is just twitter's at tales of red arm and then on facebook is just tales of red arm um i love hearing from you guys and i want to make sure i'm giving you as best a content as i could possibly give you um from the books so let me know if there's anything i can do to improve it or otherwise but uh, that was a little longer than i typically expect from these types of things so uh it's been a hot minute since they've been that long i should say <laughs> so um i know they get a little bit shorter when there's more point of views jumping around when it's all in one they get a little bit longer which is why the earlier chapters from the previous books have been a bit longer because there's more content happening in one time period but Hopefully you guys had fun, and I'm looking forward to the next chapter and the next episode. So hopefully you guys will join me then. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall, and follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall, then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows <laughs>